you're listening to the Social Transgressions Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about navigating traditional employment. This is actually a presentation that I presented at a conference in 2020. I was supposed to present it in person, but then COVID happened and the conference got moved to online and then only two people showed up to the online presentation. I'm going to follow the same structure as the presentation, and hopefully you'll get to see the whole thing someday. I originally conceptualized this presentation as being something that is for autistic and non-autistic people. I have a lot of funny stories about employment blunders that are too good to not share. I think a good way to start presentations is by going over the learning goals at the very beginning. That way people can decide if it's a good fit for them and they want to stay and listen to the whole thing or if they want to duck out within the first five minutes. So my learning goals for this presentation were as follows. Number one, Learn how traditional employment can unwittingly filter out autistic candidates in each step of the process. Number two, connect autistic ways of thinking to the positives of employment. And number three, brainstorm changes to the traditional employment process to improve accessibility. What is traditional employment? I'm glad you asked. Traditional employment is the way most of us are used to applying for jobs. We find a listing, we apply, and then hopefully get an interview and an offer. The traditional employment route does not make use of services available from DDA or DVR. And that felt really weird to me. And then I sort of honed in on two major reasons why an autistic person might decide to pursue traditional employment. The first one being with the increasing number of autistic individuals attending college, traditional employment offers more skill relevant opportunities. I approached a few job agencies after college asking if they had opportunities for people with disabilities to find work. And I found that a lot of the opportunities available were in what we call the trifecta of food, flowers and filth basically dead-end service jobs where you serve other people, you get paid minimum wage or sub-minimum wage if your state allows that. Now, I'm never going to criticize anyone for doing an honest day's work, but the fact that these were the only opportunities for work presented to us implies that the job agencies don't think that autistic candidates have the intellectual abilities. And also, another reason why someone would go through traditional employment. Waiting lists for supported employment are long, and DVR often takes only the most impacted cases. Yeah, their words, not mine. For this next part, I'm going to go over each step of the application process and the barriers an autistic person might face when encountering them. The first is the job description. Autistic applicants may filter themselves out by taking a description too literally. This phenomenon also has a gender bias, as women tend to try to meet 100% of the qualifications while men seek just 60%. It's important that the employer clearly states the essential functions of the position and requirements for applicants. 
It's equally important that autistic applicants cast a wide net when applying for jobs. A good way to parse through all the job descriptions out there are to determine what is negotiable. Knowledge of specific programs, years of experience, and education can all be considered negotiable. You could be more knowledgeable in one program and your skills could transfer more easily than you think, or some years of volunteer experience could replace work experience, or your degree program at the university you graduated from goes by a different name than what's in the job description. This is why it's important to write a cover letter, as the cover letter is your chance to describe how your experiences connect to the position. Some non-negotiables include certification, large gaps in knowledge, and essential functions without accommodations. Like I love to say, if you can't swim, don't apply to be a lifeguard. And I gotta admit, some job requirements don't make sense. Like there are some jobs out there that require you to have a driver's license, even though the job itself requires absolutely no driving. And this can be a barrier for people with disabilities who don't drive and people with limited incomes who don't drive. Another part of the job application process that we struggle with is assessments. Some applications and many agencies require a pre-employment test. This is most common in retail and office work. These tests assess skills such as making change from large amounts of money, sorting alphabetically, typing, and customer scenarios. While these tests are meant to showcase skills, in practice, they may inhibit out-of-the-box thinking. And I'm going to give you two real-life examples. So retail jobs will often give you a personality quiz to determine how good you are with the customers. And this is meant to weed out people who aren't very social or people-oriented. So I encountered this when I applied for a job in retail once upon a time. You are asked to rate yourself from strongly agree to strongly disagree on the following statement. And the statement was, I care about my coworkers' personal problems. And I kind of just sat there like, uh, I don't know how to answer this. I could think of multiple ways that I could answer that. Like, do I say that I don't care about their problems and that I'm there to work? Or do I say that I do care about their problems and show that I get easily distracted by being a social creature? Every time Microsoft Word updates to a new version, it changes the placement of the icons but the keyboard shortcuts never change. So I just instinctively use the keyboard shortcuts for all my Word documents. But this assessment wouldn't let me do that. So it didn't accurately show that I knew my way around Microsoft Word. And it was really frustrating. And I'm getting frustrated just talking about this. Another example is when I took an office skills assessment using a simulated version of Microsoft Word and I wasn't allowed to use any keyboard shortcuts. And I thought this was ridiculous because ideally when we complete the application and the assessments, we get contacted to interview. 
Now, everyone gets nervous about interviews, but autistic individuals tend to get more nervous than their non-autistic peers. Even with practice, we have trouble picking up on social cues and taking perspective. We just overall struggle with soft skills. We may unintentionally come off as rude when so much of our energy is going towards thinking from this social perspective. Additionally, autistic traits such as lack of eye contact and fidgeting may be off-putting to interviewers. If you're an employer listening to this, I would ask you to consider whether an applicant's non-traditional presentation will interfere with their ability to do the essential functions of the position. I'd also encourage you to ask clear and concise questions during the interview. The interview should be a collaborative process between you, the employer, and the autistic person who is applying. And for the autistic person who is applying, I would suggest that you prepare a portfolio to kind of deflect from your less than desirable social skills. It's okay, I do it too. Request a virtual interview. Those are getting pretty popular these days, I hear. And at the very end of the interview, ask, is there anything I can answer in more detail for you? Just to make sure that you've covered everything. People who say, you just need to practice, they usually have good intentions, or so I would like to think. And it's true that we can improve with practice, but autism is a disability just like any other disability. You wouldn't tell a wheelchair user that they could walk if they just tried harder. <laughs> to say this invalidates our experiences and puts the responsibility solely on us for our challenges. We can encourage practice and systemic changes to hiring. So picture it now. You applied for the job, you took the necessary assessments, you went in for the interview, and you were offered the job. And then you accept. Yeah, you're not done yet. <laughs> the final step in the job application process is learning how to keep the job. <laughs> Every job has a learning curve. Misunderstandings happen and we may not even realize it. Many of us prefer to work alone due to past social consequences, not a lack of interest. When we have misunderstandings in the workplace, it's actually a sign that we like our workplace and we're feeling increasingly comfortable there. Hopefully, if there is a good manager-worker relationship, there will be an opportunity to handle the misunderstanding with grace. My advice would be to discuss the instance using language that lays out a clear cause and effect relationship of the words or actions and what happened after. Communicate how the words or actions were interpreted through different viewpoints. It's always a good idea to get as much information as you can in writing and to follow up any in-person conversations with emails. The reason I recommend this is because emails can be used as evidence in court. Hopefully you don't ever get into a wrongful termination suit, but considering the rampant discrimination that's out there, it could happen. Just be prepared. Viewed me as someone who was just completely disregarding her emails. 
One personal example I have of a misunderstanding at the workplace was when I was talking too much at my job. At my first job out of college, I talked to my coworkers way too much while working, and the boss sent an email directed to the whole team saying that she'd noticed a lot of talking and requesting we quiet down. And I didn't think that this email was directed at me because I kind of lack the self-awareness to realize stuff like that, I thought that I wasn't talking that much, so I just continued talking at the rate that I was. And then she, I had to explain that I need things to be directed to me or else I will miss it. In my case, I did decide to disclose my autism because I thought that I was going to be there for a while. Obviously, I was wrong because I got fired from that job. And you know, I'm really strongly considering doing a whole bonus episode on all of the social transgressions that led to me getting fired, but I don't know, it might just bring up too much negative feelings, so we'll see. As far as if you, the autistic listener, should disclose being autistic, just know that it won't get you any kind of special treatment or priority in hiring, but it can provide context to understanding differences. And also don't assume that your employer knows what autism means. They could have some very stereotyped views of what autism is. So come prepared with an article or pamphlet explaining key points and how it relates to your work. And remember, if you mess up on the job, it's not always because you're autistic. Sometimes the job isn't the right fit, and that's okay. We all learn. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on navigating traditional employment. I really hope that I get to present this at a conference someday. I think I might also do a podcast episode on self-employment. That's the route that a lot of autistic people are going down these days. So stay tuned!